Cavalcade Audio Productions presents Star Drifter, the science fiction audiobook series written and read by David Collins Rivera. Today's story, Open All Night, Part 4. Peppo had been obliged by law to close the 4th Street Diner and post a biohazard warning. He actually choked up when he peeled the big display sticker off its backing and slapped it on the front door, where it sat crookedly, alternatingly flashing orange and scrolling through the list of violations and the exact laws pertaining to them. He couldn't meet Max's eyes, or anyone else's, but he did pull the older fry cook aside on the sidewalk before leaving and spoke quietly. The drone had already been recalled back to its home base, flying up and over the buildings, disappearing in the arcing distance of the station horizon. The two men spoke freely for the first time that day. I haven't got a choice, Max, you know that. If I don't do this right now, they'll just send someone else. At least it wouldn't be you, Pep. Now, don't be that way. No matter how the bugs got here, they're here, in your restaurant. Are you saying you're willing to serve your customers with these things crawling around? Of course not. Okay, then listen. I'm a senior inspector now. That doesn't count for much most days, but I do have a little leeway for something like this. The diner has to be closed because of the roaches, but until I submit my results for the startup inspection... You haven't legally failed it. 1,200 hours on seven day this week is my absolute deadline to get that in, and I'll hold off until the very last minute. I'll be back bright and early on seven day. We'll run through the whole inspection again. With the place closed, I can be thorough and quick. That gives you five days, Max. Five days with the doors locked? Peppo, you might as well submit it now. I have rent to meet. Utilities, supplies, payroll. I can't be closed for five days. The alternative is forever, Max. City Hall is gunning for you. It's gunning for the whole neighborhood. They want 4th Street upscaled, and some big money people are being awfully chummy with each other over it. I'm your friend, so I'm telling you, this is the only chance you've got now. And we're happy to have it, Gonda put in, coming up. She had been nearby and overheard much of what the inspector had said. For that matter, so had Immy, Pitt, and New Guy standing around behind silently. Thank you for this, Peppo. We'll be ready. He nodded gravely, tried to smile, and then walked off. Predictably, Higo Sowell and Mickelston stood across the street in front of Carbonari's, looking pleased with themselves. Higo even pantomimed a bug crawling on Mickelston's sleeve with his fingers, and the big doorman, clown-like, acted all terrified, jumping and brushing it off. They laughed and laughed. Don't you dare, Gonda warned her boyfriend quietly, but he didn't rise to the bait. Indeed, he didn't seem anything but sad. Without another word, Max just turned on his heel and walked inside. The two across the street seemed surprised by that for a moment, even disappointed, though their smiles didn't waver. Gonda and the others followed Max in. I got a call into that pest control place on Bailey Avenue, Max, Immy announced. They're in the middle of a big job up on the hub, but they said they'd have somebody swing by on mid-shift. Max acted like he hadn't heard, and maybe he hadn't. He went behind the counter and poured himself a coffee. Then he took a seat as if he were just another nameless customer, exhausted by work and life. What was it all for? He asked no one in particular. 
25 years. Where did it get us? It got us in a fight, new guy put in. That's all this is. Fights can be won. Yeah, we're gonna beat them, Maxie, Pitt declared firmly, then stomped on something as if to punctuate his opinion. Don't put your money on it, his boss warned wearily. Juris will hang you out to dry. This is rubbish, Gonda cried after a moment of appalled silence. We're not losing anything. Get on your feet, Max, and get to work. What's there to do? We have to make plans. We have to make a strategy. But the fry cook just shrugged and mumbled into his cup. The man's longtime girlfriend stood there, helpless with growing anger, until she spat a curse in low speak and stalked out of the diner. Gonda, don't, Emmy called, and Pitt even tried to follow, but it was clear there was no soothing the woman. You're going to lose her if you keep this up, Emmy declared with alarm. Nah, Max drawled and took a sip. New guy said he'd like to start cleaning again, except that until the bugs were cleared up, it was pointless. By law, they'd just have to do it again. Instead, he sat at the counter as well, not too near Max, lest he draw the man's ire, and started working with that little communication device strapped to his arm. He seemed to have on display contacts or eye implants or something because he swiped at the air, interacting with information no one else could see. Emmy contacted the others at home to let them know what had happened. It was only meant as a courtesy call to tell them the place would be closed for a few days, but over the next hour, they all came in, one by one, save for KB, who was in class. Flo had just gotten to sleep, but she was the first one to arrive back. When Jev showed, Talia was with him, and looking very comfortable. Oh, God, I'm so sorry, she wailed when she heard about the situation. It was unclear to Max how he was supposed to feel about her sorrow, so he just got himself a cardamom danish and another cup of joe. If there was anything to be done, it was going to have to happen without him. That was all there was to it. No one here could stop what was happening, despite them being the best people he knew. The thing that bothered him the most was what his regulars would think. He'd let them down. Almost in answer to his thoughts, Bugs and Kindy pounded on the door. Emmy let them in and explained things quietly. Crisper was right behind them. The waitress relocked the door after this. The villains? Bugs shouted, pounding the countertop. I shall return in mere minutes. Let me fetch my broadsword. And he started to leave, but with effort, Kindy and Imelda persuaded him to stop. We're not open for business, Max announced to everyone. I can't take your money. So, lunch is on the house. How's chili sound? General affirmatives came from the regulars. Kindy was about to agree as well, but then noticed something small and dark brown scuttling under a table and decided to pass. Eh, after seeing Reactor 2 go red, Crisper stated, a few critters ain't anything to worry about. Give me a big bowl with onions and cheese. And how about some extra crackers, Emmy? You're always so cheap with them. He bellied up to the counter in his usual seat right next to Max. Pitt went in and served him a large bowl, fixed the way he ordered. And Emmy, partly out of pique, put the entire case of crackers on the counter next to the old man. He smiled like it was his birthday and dug in. Naturally... The mood was subdued, and the ex-AMW fighter and his wife left after a bit. Though she possessed an iron constitution regarding gore and violence, the cockroach issue was clearly creeping Kindy out, despite her best intentions. Max said goodbye with a vague wave. By 1,200 hours, a couple of technicians from the pest control company swung by. Upon receiving a description of the cockroaches, and then spotting one running under a door, they identified it as Paraplaneta americana, a large pest species. Can you kill them all? Emmy queried. Well, in the old days, they had these poisons they used, 
one of the techs revealed with a laugh. Can you imagine that? It worked fast, but it got into the air and the water. Can't have that on a station. We use safe techniques now, but it does take a little time. We're almost done cleaning out a big cargo boat up on the hub that had an infestation. That's probably where these guys came from, because Sousa's been free of this species for a couple years now. Oh, I know where they came from, Max replied sulkily from his seat at the counter. The techs had come by only for the assessment and couldn't stay to get started on the job just then. Most of the exact equipment they needed was still up on the hub anyway, but not to worry, they'd be back. At 1300, KB came in as usual, though looking grave. It'll be okay, Max, she assured. By this point, the fry cook had moved to his office to visit with his grano bottle. He tried to hide it when she walked up, but had been slow and unsuccessful. She didn't care. She gave him a hug and then said some shockingly adult words about the restaurant across the street and its owners that made Max laugh. His first laugh all day. New Guy had been waving the air for a couple hours and now called for KB through the service window. What's your end-of-term project again? Um, self-propagating cyber-neuro nanosystems for packet transmission and implementation, she answered. Max didn't understand and looked at his glass in perplexity. Does that include molecular keying? It doesn't have to, but it can, she said going forward, leaving her boss alone again with his bottle. He decided he didn't like the company suddenly and went back out front. KB stood on one side of the counter explaining some technical thing to New Guy. Jev and Talia were sitting there with him now as well. It looked like a secret club. The others chatted quietly. They were comfortable with each other, saying offhand things and making little droll remarks here and there. The whole thing felt like a funeral to Max, yet they were acting like it was just another day. Why are you people still here? He groused loudly. Where do you expect us to be? Emmy demanded, nettled by his tone. This is home, Flo said simply, lighting up a cigarillo. Cockroaches are nothing, Crisper dismissed. When the reactor goes red, then you know what real problems are. Nobody wants to hear your stupid stories anymore, Crisp, Max snapped. You pulled the switch at the last minute? You saved the station? Come on, I'm drowning here. The 4th Street Diner is dying the real death, and you're just sitting there telling the same old lies. Crisper stared at him, confused and terribly hurt. Everyone was silent for a long, brittle moment. You apologize, Emmy, uncharacteristically stern, told her boss. In fact, she sounded furious. You tell Crisper that you're sorry, right now. We're all here because we love this place, Max. We love you, though you scarcely deserve it. You keep talking about all the years you've put in here, but you didn't do it alone, and you're not alone now. Crisper has been by your side from the beginning, and he deserves better. Nah, Crisper put in quietly, getting up from his counter seat and looking very old suddenly. It don't matter. Everybody else has called me a liar. Now the collection's complete. Good shift, people. The man tottered from the quiet crowd, going out the door, Max dashing after him. Ah, oh, crap, come on, you know I didn't mean it. Crisp! He followed the old man out to the sidewalk, calling at his rounded back, but Crisper didn't reply or turn around. Way down at the corner, an armored soldier heard him yelling and looked to see what was up, but there was nothing up. Mickelston, at his post across the street, seemed to have an attack of the giggles, shuddering in mirth and enjoyment at the display. He spoke into his wrist between bursts of chuckling. Higo and Brunda must have been just inside the door because they were out there beside him in seconds. His chortling turned into a real attack of laughter, and he related what he'd just seen between short gasps, inspiring the couple to follow him in his enjoyment of Max's pain. 
It was just another attempt to bait him, of course. Because when Max saw Red and began stalking across the street, Mickelston stepped forward, all laughter immediately vanishing. He moved out to meet the fry cook halfway. Again, rollers came to sudden lurching halts with beeping and cursing and an expectation of chaos. Up the street, the armored soldier started at a slow jog, approaching warily. The doorman came without any hesitation or slacking, one large fist curling into a ball in anticipation of landing a brutal blow. Max saw Mickelston doing it, knowing he was about to end up in the med center. It didn't matter. This wasn't about winning a brawl, and it wasn't even about wiping the sneers off his enemies. It was just about hitting someone. The approaching thug was going to hurt him, sure, but the older man would get in a few shots, and right now, that was the only thing that mattered. Right now, he just wanted to bruise someone, and this large thug was a fine candidate. But then Mickelston's eyes grew wide in shock and fear. He skidded to a flailing halt, arms windmilling in an attempt to keep his balance while simultaneously backpedaling. Max glanced over his shoulder in time to see Flo stepping off the sidewalk in a steady, mechanistic way, cigarillo smoke puffing up in indefatigable little billows, as if to cement the illusion that here came a giant, feminine engine of destruction. Actually, it wasn't an illusion. Whoa, whoa, whoa! The soldier called in a loud, amplified voice, quickening her pace, stunner now in hand. Mickelston was already scrambling back while Flo stopped at Max's side, turning to face the approaching figure. Everyone go back to your restaurants! It's a free station, Max spat. I have a right to go where I want. You're blocking traffic, the armored soldier countered. It was 022 again, Max noticed. Get out of the road and stop staring up trouble! Are you going to say that to them, Fleety? Or is the military in their pocket now, too? The Alliance pays me and no one else, Mr. Ruello. The soldier countered, planting herself, implying the HUD inside her helmet had popped up with his ident info. Then again, everybody seemed to know him these days, precious few of them his friends. She reholstered her weapon and turned her metallic head from one side of the road to the other. What's wrong with you people? It's not our job to keep you happy, Max snapped. You're not happy either, she threw back. So what's the point of this? The point is, it's our home, he shouted, waving his arms to encompass the neighborhood. This isn't a stepping stone to someplace grander. It's not a tool we're using to rub shoulders with the big shots. We're living our lives, 22. They're building a portfolio. He pointed at the souls, who still looked amused, though Brunda's eyes were narrowed in a venomous, calculating way above a delicate smile. I empathize, sir, I really do, but we can't have this kind of disturbance. She increased the volume of her external amp as she spoke so that everyone could hear. You have to stay on your respective sides of 4th Street. Higo just chuckled and waved to the woman in acknowledgement, ushering his people inside, Mickelston included. The big man threw a murderous glance at Flo before disappearing. In response, her pursed lips worked the stubby cigar from one side of her mouth to the other. Go on now, Zero Two Two urged, pointing to the diner. Clear the road. The two fry cooks didn't move at first but Emmy appeared behind and touched them both on the arms. Flo turned automatically, but Max remained. Nobody should be able to just roll in and take away your life, he said quietly, probably to himself, but 022 heard and replied. A lot of things shouldn't happen. There was a sad, metallic sympathy in her voice. He tried to match the soldier's gaze, but her featureless helmet didn't have one. The week passed in a fever dream. 
Max was there all the time, sleeping in his beat-up old office chair every day now, just running back to his flat for clean clothes and showers. Gonda had been scarce, only popping in now and then to talk to KB and the others. She didn't speak to Max, wouldn't even look at him. In the course of a single week, everything had faded away. He caught himself staring at midair, at nothing on more than one occasion, wondering what had happened, how it had all come about. Gonda actually missed KB more than she caught her. The young woman had final projects due at school and was here and gone throughout the week. Max had given up telling everyone to stay home. For that matter, New Guy was always bustling by like he was late for something important something certainly other than work with the place closed. On three-day, the pest control guys came around and looked and poked about high and low. They found a few dead bugs and bug parts, and their sensors detected the tiny, grain-like feces of the insects everywhere. This was normal for an infestation, they said. Mysteriously, though, there were no signs of any living critters. The techs couldn't offer a concrete explanation, but their bill was low accordingly, so Max didn't want to eat up more of their time. The other fry cooks were there every day without fail at their usual shifts, cleaning, scrubbing, organizing. Flo mentioned that she was glad to finally have time to put the cold shelves in proper order something that had apparently been bothering the woman for a long time, though she'd never mentioned it. Pitt mostly just watched Smackball when he came in, decrying whichever team was losing him money. But he did it there, at the diner, with them. Immy and Jev were around as well, cleaning and gabbling. A bunch of the regulars swung by now and then to lend a hand, though not crisper. Max tried calling him one night, but only got the old man's inbox. Most mysteriously, Talia came by each day after work and actually helped with the cleaning. Or maybe it wasn't such a mystery. She and Jev were very tight now, and the waiter was swearing that she was it, his one and only forever and ever. She had gotten close with KB and New Guy, too, because they came and went together sometimes. It was all so busy and chaotic, and Imelda took everything in hand. Her back and her feet didn't let her do as much of the physical labor as she wanted, but the waitress was on the comm a lot, talking to distributors and sales reps, getting the diner's usual orders placed on hold, and coordinating off-day deliveries for after Peppo's re-inspection. Unlike her boss, she took it for granted that they would be needing it all. Max had a hole in his stomach or maybe it was in his heart. Wherever the location, he often felt like he was falling into it and taking everyone with him. He tried to explain more than once, but Immy and the others just hushed him up and continued working. As Gonda had said, this wasn't like him. Except, of course, that it was. From the start of the competition for the license, he'd had a blossoming sense of dread. The Souls were the kind of folks he'd always been intimidated by, to be truthful. Oh, it seemed childish, even cowardly to think of it, but they'd almost become figures of dark myth to him, like evil spirits, mostly out of sight, but always present and always malicious. All his life... He'd seen ambitious folks giving orders, making decisions, forcing their wills upon Sousa Station and the wider galaxy. They'd brought about change, sure, but even positive change always hurts someone somewhere, often somewhere close. Uprooting the lives and livelihoods of the people around them was simply a part of doing business. They wiped out any element that conflicted with their very particular visions for the future. And if something that other people were trying to build did as well, then it was just another symptom of the problem. Except that some things needed time to grow. 
Some things could only come to exist over the course of decades or even longer, and that was simply not a timescale that ambitious, impatient people respected. Back on Terra, Max knew, there were these giant plants called trees. He'd seen an action vid set in a whole forest of them once, and had been so impressed he'd gone and looked them up. There were more kinds of trees on that world than a man could name, all of them stunning examples of life. They often represented many biomes all their own, playing host to thousands, even millions of other creatures and plants. They took decades to grow, some of them centuries. A few were even thought to be thousands of years old. That's how he saw the 4th Street Diner. A beautiful, living thing that had taken a quarter century to mature, and it was only getting started. But a pair of productive, beautiful people had strolled in with vibrasaws, looking to thin the forest. They would see the diner closed, ruining the fast, full-service eatery trade in the neighborhood. Then they'd sell carbonaris to someone with a different vision, or, what was worse, no vision at all, and just keep on moving. When the diner was gone, it would be gone forever, and no matter how nice and how gentrified the neighborhood became, it would never, ever be what it once was. And neither would he. Max was flat-out frightened. Without the diner, he had no idea how to define himself, and he shivered when he thought in terms of the future, because when he looked ahead, all he could see was an empty space where his living tree used to grow. A month before, the future had been clear and sensible. He knew how every day for the rest of his life would play out. Now he knew nothing. When Seven Day rolled around, he went to the uniform supply place over on 18th and Kilbourne and bought himself a new set of work clothes. He picked out a full chef's uniform, complete with hat. The place had a fitting room, and he felt like he was going to a masquerade ball when he looked in the mirror display because he truly didn't recognize himself. But maybe that was a good thing. It was early first shift when he came in, and a few of the crew were there, as was Peppo, already deep into his inspection. He had a tiny, clip-on audio recorder running as he poked about to gather ample evidence that there was no contestable favoritism involved. He waved at Max and gave him the thumbs up to relate that everything was looking good so far, but he clearly needed and expected to be left alone in order to make his deadline. You look great, Emmy offered, gesturing to his new uniform. If you gotta go, he replied with a wry smile, go in style. You're not going anywhere. We'll beat this. Still grinning, Max shook his head, the tall, unfamiliar toque wobbling a bit. Imelda, you are the best of the best. I never say it, so I'm saying it now. If this comes through... You're the official manager of the diner. The office will be yours. You've been doing that job plus your own for years now. I never gave it up before because, well, I don't know why. Stubborn, I guess. But life is easier with you at the helm. And you're better at it than I ever was. It's high time you were off your feet. I'll still work the grill and sign whatever needs the owner's signature, but if there's a 4th Street diner going forward... It's going to be your show. Emmy was silent, stunned, and Max enjoyed her delighted shock. Flo had been standing behind and touched Emmy's shoulder. The older woman turned as if in a fog. Speaking of long overdue, the large fry cook put in, scooping the smaller woman up off the floor and planting a massive kiss on her mouth. Still stunned, the new manager didn't react for a moment, but then embraced Flo back and melted into the moment. The diner broke into cheers and whistles, and satisfied, Max nodded and turned away. KB, new guy, and Talia still weren't here, 
but Bugs and Kindy had come by and were playing an off-evening hand of cards at their usual table. No Gonda, though. That felt bad. Very bad. There was a rap at the door, and he looked up to find Crisper standing outside. Max unlocked it and let him in. Crisp, he started, but the old man just held up a hand. Not a problem. Now or ever. And that was that. The two men shook hands and didn't mention it again. Crisper took his usual seat and complained loudly to Emmy that if she could take a minute out of giggling with Flo, maybe he could get his morning cup of joe for crying out loud. Imelda made a point of looking at Jev, and he made a point of acknowledging the order, as one would the new boss. I'll pretend I didn't see that, said Peppo offhandedly while waving at Crisper getting service in the closed diner. He stepped up to Max with a happy smile. I'm done, and you passed, Max. I just have to put in the results and... But Max's calm buzzed then with an alert he'd set up for anything incoming from the licensing board, and he put up his hand for Peppo to hold that thought. The small device's display was cramped, so he stalked back to the office and brought the message up on the bigger screen. Everyone else followed, even the customers, crowding at the door as Max sat in his chair, maybe for the last time. He found a form letter waiting. It was very plain and basic and... familiar? Is that? Emmy asked, confused, hopeful, echoing Max's sentiments exactly. Yeah, he replied quietly, almost too overwhelmed to talk though his voice rose in both pitch and volume as he read. To Maximilian Bruello, owner and operator of the 4th Street Diner, blah, 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 this is to inform you of the acceptance of your license application for a fast, full-service eatery in the Ryder Avenue commercial zone upon Sousa Station. The shouting and laughter that followed this was almost too much to bear in the small office, it was so loud, it brought tears to Max's eyes. Pap, he called over the noise. I thought we had to pass inspection. <sighs> so did I, he returned, laughing with the rest, looking relieved and thrilled. I'll put my results in anyway right now, in case the souls try to contend the ruling. I just don't understand, Max stated, smiling. Did we miss it? KB asked from behind, sounding excited and disappointed at the same time. It just came in, Jev cried while hugging Talia, who had come in with the young waitress. New guy was with them too. That was fast, the chubby spacer commented, grinning. Looks like his honor can be efficient when he's properly motivated. What's that mean? asked Max, because new guy looked very pleased with himself. It turns out the mayor of Sousa enjoys expensive day trips and long weekends to Umal and other places here in Dubin. A rich man spends money. So what? So it's not his money, KB put in. He's been using public funding and calling his party trips political research projects. Wait, what? It's true, Mr. Bruello, Talia confirmed. The revitalization project has access to comparative economic data sets from all over the star system. I used it to get specific details from the leisure and travel industries and cross-checked with the mayor's public itinerary and budget. We have evidence that he's been using premium passenger liners and luxury vacation packages whenever he goes off on his own. How did you... I mean... What made you even think of that? Occasionally, supplied new guy, still smiling, the very people who most require discretion seem to utterly disdain it. It's like an illness happens over and over. So I put some feelers out on the local spacer community nets and union boards, regular workaday people on the docks. They see everyone and everything that passes through this station, and more than a few of them had spicy anecdotes about your mayor. Okay, but what's that got to do with the license? 
Well, as you were saying, it was a backroom deal, with the mayor's office hip-deep in it all. Once we had our facts assembled, we made an appointment with one of his assistants and laid things out. You blackmailed the mayor of Sousa Station? Technically, you did, Max! KB laughed, and the others joined in. That's a powerful enemy to make. New Guy waved this off dismissively. If the diner keeps its end of the bargain, then he's just a business associate. He has much more to lose than he has to gain by crossing you. The souls are the kind of people he likes to keep happy. You're now the kind of person he needs to keep happy. Pitt, break out the bubbly. What bubbly? We don't have champagne. Cold shells, bottom left. The case marked chopped faketopus. Ah, I thought it was weird you bought so much of that stuff. Why'd you hide it? Think we'd drink it all? I knew you'd drink it all. So there was a party. The magic grapevine of 4th Street was such that big news traveled superluminal. It wasn't 20 minutes before the diner was packed. Emmy put on music, and she and Flo surprised everyone with a clumsy, unrehearsed, though sensual tango. The diner laughed. Max laughed. Or wanted to. It was over, and he'd won. They'd won. Yet where was Gonda? How could she not be here now? Unless... <sighs> Maybe that was over too. The others, these people, his family, they were here now. And he owed them everything. The neighborhood was here too. And it was good. But he still stood in the doorway, this time watching the street watching the people and traffic going by. Impulsively, he called Gonda, but only got her service. He left a fumbling, apologetic-sounding message covering the good news, even though she, like everyone else on 4th Street, had probably already heard. Because he was distracted by this and by backslaps from well-wishers, he didn't spot Mickelston until the big man was already in the street, once again stalking across traffic, this time with murderous eyes. Incoming! Max warned over his shoulder loudly while exiting the diner. I just got fired, the approaching thug declared over a low passing roller and still approaching without pause. So there's no reason to hold back on you anymore. Flo stalked past her boss like a fast train, smoke floating by, passenger rollers and automated bots screeching to a halt in a now familiar manner. But Mickelston wasn't surprised this time, and he didn't slow down. One step away from Florence, a telescoping rod snapped down into his hand, and he touched the big woman on one shoulder. She'd been in mid-step, and just tumbled forward when her limbs went limp. Behind, Immy cried out. That's one, the ex-doorman snapped. Max threw out a fast jab to Mickelston's jaw and connected, but the other just took it and grinned. In reply, he touched the fry cook on the chest with the stun stick, and Max dropped with a gasp. That's two. A dark, armored figure from up the street suddenly barreled at the man from between two lines of traffic, 022's amplified voice declaring him to be under arrest. Mickelston was ready for this too, though, and he dropped to one knee, swiping at the soldier's encased right leg as she skidded to a halt. There was a blue arc that flashed from head to toe, along with a loud crackle, and 022 crashed to the street, just as Max and Flo had. She tumbled once and lay motionless on her back. Military grade, Mickelston chuckled, wiggling the stick over the woman's featureless face. Then he looked up in dark triumph. And that's three. Once more, the sidewalk in front of the diner was packed with employees and customers, unmoving, staring in alarm and anger. 
Finally, a small figure pushed forward. It was KB. She stood between Emmy and New Guy. You're mean, she stated, and took out a small data pad from a leg pocket, which she then proceeded to press at and swipe. Mickelston was clearly amused by this declaration and made to move forward. The screams that came from behind him, though, across the street, were arresting, and he glanced back in confusion. From Carbonari's Ristorante Italiano came a stream of customers, as well as waitstaff, kitchen help, and others, some yelping, and all of them brushing at their hair and clothes. It was a bizarre sight, since it wasn't clear at first what was wrong. Moments later, a swarm of small, dark brown things resolved themselves and clumped together in mid-air. The sound of insects flying was unmistakable, even over the shouts and tramping of feet. Higo and Brenda Sowell were there, too, slapping at themselves and yelling, Higo's perfect hair all askew as he ran his fingers through it maniacally, Brenda screaming as she desperately grabbed at something moving inside her dress. It turns out, new guy shouted at Mickelston, roaches can fly! Better get moving! Indeed, the swarm started slowly across the road. People in stopped rollers sealed up windows, if their vehicles had any, and of those that didn't, many actually abandoned them, dashing away in pandemonium. Mickelston's dark eyes went round like portholes looking out at the emptiness of space. He turned and sprinted up 4th Street, howling in terror, with a jittery, wobbling cloud of cockroaches right behind. Across the street, the souls stood alone, horrifically disheveled, for them, while staring at the diner and its people in a sick mixture of shock and fear and hatred. Peppo had his data pad out and was now starting on a new report. Well, I can't ignore a health problem like that, can I? He queried no one in particular, starting across the road with a grin. Max, Flo, and 022 in the road had people by their sides in an instant. The soldier hadn't actually been stunned, but her armor was dead and frozen. Bugs took off her helmet, while Kindy looked over the other two for injuries. Up 4th Street, the way Mickelston had retreated, another fleet troop roller was just coming to a stop. Flo was sitting up, and Emmy was hugging her. Max was seeing stars, and his legs were still too gelatinous for him to stand unaided. Crisper was on his left side, supporting him under the shoulder. On his right was Gonda. I called, Max said to her quietly. I heard, she replied, and they brought him inside. And you're saying that a full cascade was actually in effect? Yeah, it was red zone. Critical failure on all the backups. No, Dolly, I need that delivery today. Thanks, Tank and Wedges. Order up. Max was at the service table in the kitchen, putting together a meatless loaf. Pitt was at the grill, flipping burgers and cursing at his ghostly team. The place was busy today. Busier than ever since Carbonari's closed down. Actually, that was an exaggeration. The Italian restaurant was in the process of changing hands again. The souls, after the place had been condemned for having an horrific pest infestation, had been approached by a big food service corporation, best known for their break-time sports restaurant chain, which was almost as ubiquitous in space as Roasted Shots coffee houses. After some fast negotiations, Carbonari's name, lease, and associated assets were purchased for a considerable sum. The couple made out pretty well after all, Max observed with some conscious pettiness. 
Whether or not the corporation was going to reopen the place under the same name was unknown at this point, but their move into the neighborhood was something the 4th Street Revitalization Program, City Hall, and the mayor's office all applauded. The fact that the tiny brains of the cockroaches that had infested Carbonaris contained self-replicating nano-sized machines sitting directly on the insect's synapses, wirelessly linking them together in a type of dynamic network sometimes referred to as a fog bank, wasn't exactly common knowledge. Gonda suggested they approach the health department with the idea of introducing said nanobots into the pest population post-facto, and then make a public show of it for the records. This seemed prudent to avoid any legal charges or lawsuits should the presence of the tiny machines be discovered later on, though no physical injuries had been reported from the incident. The apparent swarming effect of the roaches caught on numerous security and private vids and sensor feeds, and subsequently pushed through all the media outlets, had filled the population of Sousa Station with a kind of panic. The idea that a cloud of cockroaches could just rise up spontaneously to chase people into the streets was seen as no less than an emergency, especially since all the usual experts in the field of insect behavior and pest control were at a loss to explain it. Upon getting the desperate go-ahead from the hygiene department, KB sprayed a placebo into a couple of captured roaches, which were set free. She then let a few days pass, pretending that the nanobots needed time to spread among the insect population. Finally, she used her control program to herd the insects out from every nook and cranny, over to a series of centralized locations where containers for them were set up and ready. These were then sealed and sent off for disposal, all neat and tidy-like. The experts who watched the whole thing went from unalloyed skepticism to bald-faced amazement, one and all declaring to the media that a new day in pest control had just dawned. No less than five postgraduate scholarship offers arrived in KB's inbox by week's end, as well as several calls from companies looking to license the technology prototype stage though it was still in. Mitzi was coming back by week's end. She didn't have a domestic partner, but had arranged to have her sister watch the baby during work shifts and bring him by for breastfeeding sessions. Max had missed her and was looking forward to having the old crew back together. Things had picked up so profoundly that New Guy could have stayed on as well, but he was leaving early first shift coming up. This day was his last. Max derided him for his choice to move on, while the others all expressed their wishes that he'd reconsider. He'd signed a contract with the hauler months prior, long before he'd even come to the diner, and had no choice but to go. They all urged him to return as soon as possible, which seemed to gratify the chubby man, though he made no promises. With Emmy in the office full-time now, counter-coverage had a hole in it. Talia just naturally stepped in, since she needed a new job. Her intercession and clear bias in the licensing drama had been noted by her supervisors at the 4RP, and she'd been let go. She and Jev were as tight as ever, though, and they overlapped their shifts so as to see each other daily. Flo and Emmy were living together now and were very happy. Flo even almost kind of smiled sometimes, which was remarked upon by everyone. One way or another, CRISPR's perennial story about saving the station back when he was a power plant technician had percolated out of the neighborhood, and an enterprising reporter did some research. Everything the old man had always said was backed up by contemporary records and investigatory statements by the station's engineering staff and administrators. He was doing interviews here at the diner each day now, and there was even talk of a special and long-overdue commendation from City Hall. The mayor, as a longtime friend and supporter of the 4th Street neighborhood, Max had almost choked when he heard that one, added his own voice to the chorus crying out to honor its hometown hero. This place is a zoo, 
Gonda complained, stumbling into the kitchen past several media technicians who were blocking the way. It's a good problem to have. Buck and Ben Grimble want a couple lunch specials to go, new guy called from out front, though he wasn't even visible through the throng. Gotcha, Pitt acknowledged miserably while watching the anchor for his team miss the ball. Looking at Gonda, Max found he couldn't breathe for a moment in that wonderful same old way. Of a sudden, he turned from the meatless loaf and grabbed her around the waist. She squeaked in horror at the state of his mucky hands. This is a new jacket, you barbarian? Bill me, he stated and kissed her deeply. Her hands were on his chest, pushing gently, while her lips kissed back with passion and yearning. Take that stuff behind closed doors already, would ya? Pitt berated, then furiously tried smacking the miniature image of his team's captain with a spatula, warping the Tri-D projection into a muddle. I told you it would work out, Gonda whispered while they yet held each other. And I told you I love you, Max replied, matching her tone. She snapped her head back in complete surprise. When did that ever happen? Every day from now on, the fry cook replied, and he kissed her again. been listening to Open All Night, a short story written and read by David Collins Rivera. You can contact me at lostinbronx at gmail.com. That's L-O-S-T-N-B-R-O-N-X at gmail. You can also check out my site at cavalcadeaudio.com and sign up for my newsletter where you'll find exclusive content and early releases. This story is copyright 2015 by the author and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 international license. Feel free to use it for any purpose, even commercial, and I encourage you to do so. The Star Drifter theme is a piece called Icore by Trunks and can be found on SoundCloud.com. The theme for Open All Night is called Music of Frog by Karogi and is available on SoundCloud.com. Open All Night is a work of fiction and is not based upon nor meant to portray any person living or dead nor any particular place or situation. Thank you for listening. Take care.